Bloody Elbow presents the Open Guard Cast, a podcast dedicated to promoting jiu-jitsu professionals. Tune in each week for interviews, current events, and analysis of everything going on in the world of jiu-jitsu and submission grappling. Here's your host, Danny O'Donnell. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Open Guard Cast. Today, my guest is Renee Lopez. Renee is a black belt in jiu-jitsu. He just got third at the Worlds 2021, which is a huge accomplishment. And uh, he's about to open up his own academy, which is also another really cool thing. So, Renee, thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So I mentioned that you got third at the Worlds 2021. So I kind of wanted to start there since it was so recent. And the tournament was really important since it was the first Worlds in like two and a half years, which is really crazy to think about. But uh, can you talk about your preparation for the Worlds and just how you felt your matches went? Yeah, definitely. Uh, my my preparation for Worlds uh, started about, uh, I would say, August. Uh, I was dealing with a lot of injuries this year. Um, so so my weight fluctuated really heavy. And so I started the, uh, the dieting and trying to get in shape uh, since August. Uh, so we were just training, you know, normally like every day. Uh, the only thing I did different was uh, I was just, you know, trying to stay healthy and, and you know, eat, eat better and stuff. Because I'm such a fatty, dude. I'm like, I love fat foods. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, with the pandemic, with the quarantine and all that stuff, that really messed me up. There's no training at all. And uh, so, yeah, my weight got really heavy. So, so and it's not like I'm looking like, like, a, like a swole middleweight. I'm looking like, you know, like a dad bod, you know, like I just look <laughs> terrible. My clothes not, you know, it doesn't fit and my, my wife's making fun of me. So, yeah, so, so since August, dude, I started, like, you know, getting in shape because I was like injured for a long time. And uh, yeah, dude, so. So it was good. It was good. Yeah, the training was great. All my training partners helped me out so much. Uh, my conditioning coach. So it was cool, man. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I know you compete at a really lightweight, your light feather, which is second lightest division for males. So like how heavy did you get? Am I allowed to ask? <laughs> definitely, definitely. I, dude, I seriously, the uh, quarantine peak, I was 173. Uh, and I had... Oh, man. Wow. I was 173 with multiple tires. Uh, like I said, my clothes didn't fit. <laughs> Wife's making fun of me. I mean, uh, there was a time where we were, we were training, you know, on the down low, and my training partners, my good friends and stuff, they were just stack passing me. And I'm always pretty good with stack defense, but man, when you have that extra, that extra belly, dude, there's it's really hard. I can understand bigger guys now, and it's like, man, I can't play that because they're all stack passing me all day long. So yeah, I got up to 173, dude. Like seriously, a 220, 2020. And then little by little, I started cutting it, cutting it, and getting back in shape, you know. So, so yeah. So right now, I'm actually yeah, that's crazy. But yeah, right now, actually, I'm I'm pretty good. Go ahead, go ahead. I'm low fifties and between forty eight and fifty two, thankfully. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a good way for you to stick around at and just kind of cut down to light feather slowly. Yeah. But I wanted to get into some of your matches too, because you had some really really exciting matches. Um, we talked a little bit before we started recording about your match with Malachi. Yeah. So maybe you could talk about that one and some of the other matches that were memorable for you from, from Worlds this year. Okay, cool. Uh, uh, Malachi, it was, um, it was a really cool match because it, it was a podium match, right? The semifinals match. And I've never made a podium ever, you know, at, at the black belt level, especially at Worlds, right? This is just super hard to, 
to make it that far because everybody's just a stud. Everybody's really, you know, tough. And, and yeah, so I was super honored to be there. And when uh, the match started with, I, I was supposed to do a, a fake ankle pick because I, I was doing that throughout my other matches and it was working really well. But for some reason, I kind of um, hesitated and he rushed me really quick and he just got the two points off the back of my guard pool. And after that, dude, it was just pretty much just me trying to catch up. And everybody knows the, the, the lighter guy is just like, that's very crucial. You lose those two points, it's really hard to get them back. Yeah. But, um, but feeling my guard, feeling his top, I felt him like uh, he had really good positioning of not getting put in, in, in really tough uh, spots. Uh, but I, I didn't feel too threatened by him and stuff. I, I did feel a little push on him on, on some stacks, but my stack defense was really good, thankfully, because I was lighter. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and when he went for that stack pass or tried to go for the stack pass, uh, I defended it really well, and then he did a dive, and it was right out of bounds. And when that happened, uh, everybody knows, you know, jiu-jitsu in the game and the rules a reset happens, you know, because he tried to make a scramble out of it. And uh, so the reset happened, which means that we got to start on our feet again. And now, so now I'm down by two by a bad guard pull. And now I have a reset, which I'm down by two. We have to pull guard again. He does the right thing, which he comes on top because he has the two points. And now he has an advantage. So now it's just, I need to figure something out. So throughout the match, I'm just like, do I need to? I need to. I need to attack him. I need to get something going. So I, I got to some of my leg attacks, some leg hugs, which uh, people call matrix, but just back home we call them leg hugs. And uh, so I got to sweep him pretty good. Uh, I didn't feel too threatened, but I got on top and I just, you know, it, I just felt like uh, he was gonna go for my back. So I was like, man, I gotta sit back again. So it was just like a back and forth at that point, you know. He sweeps me, I sweep him. Uh, and then towards the end, I sweep him. So we're like six to six. He's up by that one advantage, you know. And he was doing the right thing. He was just, there was only like 40 seconds left. So he's just holding to my pants and just, you know, just trying to get the win. And uh, unfortunately, I just could not get loose. I, I try to go for like a guillotine in the gi, which is, <laughs> it's kind of like a, a worthless move sometimes. Not, not always, right? But, uh, but it was just, you know, it's just like trying something. And uh, obviously, I lost by that one advantage. So it was six to six, one advantage. And uh, yeah, man, that was pretty much it. Yeah, Malachi's an amazing competitor. I've been watching him for a long time. Uh, we had him on the podcast last year. So I've been following his career. And I uh, just wanted to congratulate you on that performance because that's like obviously a huge accomplishment, making the world's podium. Yeah. And uh, another thing, too, is that you're not an adult age anymore so i know you actually compete in the masters divisions too so can you talk about that like what that's like preparing and competing in these tournaments against all these really young guys like you're not old by any means i'm in my 30s too but um but you're not 21 anymore so is it any different uh, preparing for the tournaments just having all those miles on your body uh definitely you know i started jiu-jitsu kind of uh pretty late i was 23 when i started and uh, uh i was a break dancer before so, I mean, I had pushed my body through some damage because of breakdancing. Uh, but at least with knees and, you know, the type of joints that we use in jiu-jitsu, they, they weren't really damaged that much. So, so, you know, through the years, I was competing with pretty much all the guys that, uh, that are pretty 
they're pretty big stars right now, like Gianni Grippo, the Meows, and other guys too, a lot of other guys. So I got to feel them out at lower belts. And um, throughout the years, I think uh, I kind of try to develop a way of training not to like damage my body too bad, you know? So, so when I got to my 30s, I did feel this, I have felt a switch. Now that I'm in my mid-30s, I did feel the switch of um, recovery. You know, I don't recover as well as I used to, but I do feel like I'm at peak strength and everything, pretty much everything else, I'm pretty peak uh, in my body. So, so I actually feel pretty, I feel stronger than I ever had before. And it's just like I said, just the recovery is the difference. And between the masters and adults, yeah, there, there, there's a difference for sure. You know, on conditioning and intensity sometimes. But there are some masters out there that do adults too. You know, like you got Jose Chago Barros, Gabriel Marias, and you have plenty of other guys too that do adults. So a lot of times it's like, if you do master worlds, seriously, it's like mini worlds. It's like a mini worlds because you'll see a lot of those guys do adults too and they do well too. They podium or sometimes they win, you know. So, so yeah. So I'll say that that's like the biggest difference, like recovery. And some masters, maybe the intensity and strength is not as par as with the adults. But don't, don't get me wrong. There's some guys out there still in the same level, too. Yeah, that's awesome. So I think there's a lot of people in jiu-jitsu who say that, like, if you don't start when you're a kid, it's going to be hard to reach the podium at the Worlds or to have the kind of results that you've had. So what advice would you give to someone who maybe starts in, like, their mid-20s, but they still want to be an elite competitor? I'll say don't, don't listen to them. <laughs> Cause I had somebody tell me the same. It's like, it's like uh, yeah, you, well, or you just do masters, or you gotta do other things. And I'm like, you know, it was kind of crushing at the at the time. But um, uh, but yeah, man, don't don't listen to them. There's there's ways. You just gotta you just gotta know how to train. You know, you, you, also the older guys we train very old school. Like you you're just training hard all the time, like super hard, super hard, and Sometimes that's, that's, you're just hitting a wall sometimes, you know, you're just hitting a wall and you're just like damaging yourself even more. So you just got to be a little smarter, you know, obviously, uh, yeah, you got to still maintain your body strong, uh, but there's ways, man, you just got to find tricks. So if you're around the same age as me, or you started kind of late, don't, don't listen, don't listen to those, uh, people and just try to figure it out, try to figure out, try to, uh, contact somebody that's in the same kind of uh, area too and see what they're doing different, you know? And, uh, yeah, man. So I'll say just don't listen to them and keep pushing. So, yeah, that's great advice. So do you want to talk about what it was like when you first started jiu-jitsu? I know you said you started when you were 23. Mm -hmm. Obviously the scene was probably very different when you started versus how it is now. So can you talk about like how you originally got interested in the sport and what it was like when you first started? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I first uh, started about 2007, at the end of 2007, 2008. And uh, American Jiu-Jitsu was, a, a, it was barely kind of blossoming a little bit. It was barely popping at that time. Uh, Jiu-Jitsu was w very different, very old school, you know, very old school. And uh, Jiu-Jitsu here in the States was uh, very uh, counter. Like it was, everything was like more of a, like when you were on your back, back what I remember, being on your back, being the guard was like all defense and countering, countering. Um, so, but uh, so throughout the time, you know, obviously we're a lot of Brazilians, champions moving to the States. You can start seeing the shift 
of how jiu-jitsu was uh, changing, you know, because the, cause I went to Brazil to train with the Menace Brothers like 2010. I, was, I think I was a purple belt. And um, when I went down there, I noticed like the guys that played guard over there, they were, they were very offensive, you know, like they're just trying to kill you off the back. And it was pretty cool to see, you know, it was a, a different shift, a different way of thinking when you're on your back. Because, like I said, uh, when I was here, everybody thought your back was like defense, you know, you, you're countering a lot of times. And when I went over there, it, it was different. It was way different. So, so yeah, I'll say coming up at that time was, it was very different for sure. Yeah, that's really cool that you got to train with the Mendes brothers so early in your jiu-jitsu career. Yeah. Do you remember, like, who else were some of the big influences on you when you were, like, white through purple belt? Yeah, definitely. Um, when I've, I, I was, two, it was 2008, I was a white belt, and I went to, I went to Worlds, went to go see Worlds. I, I was, uh, I had problems with uh, my heart at that time, so I wasn't able to compete. But uh, I did got to see a lot of the cool matches. And one of the matches I remember that sh showed me a different type of jiu-jitsu was uh, Cobrinha. Cobrinha was fighting uh, Rafael Lovato in the absolute. And I remember being like, wow, dude, who's, wow. That, who's that smaller dude? You know, he's like going like head to head with this huge dude, you know. And uh, my coach at the time, I was asked, Cobrinha, man, you got to keep an eye on him. And he's doing all these cool things. And... Dude, ever since I saw that match, I was just like obsessed, you know, obsessed of what is he doing and and how could I uh, get that type of info and stuff. So I was just researching at the time there, you know, YouTube wasn't that big and there wasn't that many clips, you know. So I don't even remember how I think my coach had a, a, a he got a DVD, one of his old school DVDs in Japan. Like a Bull Terrier one. I don't know if people remember this, but the, the Bull Terrier back in the day were yeah. like the big instructionals. So I got a hold of it. I copied it from him. And I was just like trying to mimic everything he did. And then, um, yeah, so he was like the first big, big influence on me. Obviously, Marcel Garcia too. Uh, Lange after Cobrinha, because Cobrinha kind of shifted his game a little bit to sit up guard. And uh, so I went. I went to Langi, and then the Menace Brothers, obviously, and uh, yeah, Low, you know. So, through a couple of names. Yeah, that was such a crazy time in jiu-jitsu. Like Cobrinha, like you said, it was having that rivalry with Rafael Mendez, going back and forth. Those matches were always crazy. Uh, Leandro Lowe was competing as a lightweight and just like making his way up through the divisions and competing. Who else uh, were the competitors that you like to watch outside of outside of those guys? Was there anyone who um, really inspired you? Like maybe maybe like the next generation after Cobrinha. Okay, um, let me see. Mm, I mean the Meows for sure. When I mean we were in the same yeah. rank, but seriously, watching them was like pretty cool to see. You know, because uh, it was uh, it was just different to see. Um, a light feather, and uh, just the way they were moving, everything. They, they, for sure, they were another inspiration too. JT Torres, I remember watching JT uh, when I was a blue belt. He was a brown belt. Watching him, um, uh, like who else? I, Jeff Glover, you know. Uh, so yeah, so yeah, some of the other names right there. Uh, let me see who else. I, I think uh, Bruno Forzado. I remember watching Forzado a lot too. Oh yeah. And uh, yeah, I think I, 
I think that's about it. I mean, that's all I can remember for right now. Yeah, that's awesome. Those are some great names. So obviously when you started training, I'm sure you were really getting obsessed with jujitsu. You talked about going to worlds as a white belt. And, uh, so a lot of times people reach this point where they can either treat jiu-jitsu as a hobby or they can start to do it on a more professional level. So do you remember ever thinking like a certain point in time when you're like, I want to take this seriously, I want to be a professional, and I want to compete as much as I can? Oh, yeah, definitely. I'll tell you the specific time. Uh, I was a blue belt. I was two th- it was 2009. I was just a blue belt. And um, I made it to the finals of Blue Belt Pan Ams, and I think I had four or five matches that day. It was like 60 people in my division, and I fought Gianni Grippo in the finals. And I lost by two advantages, I believe. And, dude, after that, I was just like, oh, dude, I, I'm, I'm good at something. You know, I'm like, I'm really good at this. I, I'm actually, I'm, I'm digging this. You know, I digged it from the first day, but it was just me making it to the finals, like five matches. I was like, wow, dude, I, I really think I want to pursue this. So I turned Purple Bell a couple months after, and my girlfriend, my my wife, that was my girlfriend at the time, was like, I was talking to her, and I'm like, dude, I think this is, I think I really want to pursue this. I, I, want, to, I want to figure out how could I do this to a career. And she's like, well, you just got to go look for the best people, like, around your weight class. So I, so I think uh, half of and the, the Mendes brothers, they were doing a, a seminar in San Diego. So she's like, well, go over there and try to, you know, do the seminar and see what you could make a relationship and maybe go see them in Brazil. So I, I did exactly that. I went down there, did the seminar. I told them, like, hey, man, I want to come down. They're like, okay. They were kind of shocked. You know, they were like, they probably hear that all the time. And, uh, and next thing you know, I was in Brazil. I didn't know English. And... I try, their city was like three, four hours away from Sao Paulo. So I don't know how I got there, but I made it down there and I trained with them. And yeah, dude, that's how it all started. So it was pretty much Pan Ams, dude. Pan Ams was like making it to the finals. And I was like, wow, dude, I'm kind of good at something. So I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to pursue this. So, so yeah, that was the, that was the exact time. Dude. It was Pan Ams. Yeah. Right after Pan Ams. That's crazy. That's an awesome story. Fighting Gianni and then training with the Mendes brothers. That's so cool. So, so what were some of the challenges like after you decided to compete and do the sport more professionally, like financially, like how was it difficult for you to kind of find a way to live your life and pay your bills while you're doing like this niche sport where there's not too much money in it? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, I was actually working a full-time job in one of the casinos in Vegas at Mandalay Bay. Or I think it was Caesar's Palace. I don't even remember. But I'll, I've been in the food industry doing, like, you know, like serving, food running, busing since I was like a kid because my aunt has a restaurant down here. So every time all the, all the you know, all the family members pretty much work there. So, you know, it's just something, it was like a skill that, oh, you know, it's easy, easy to get a job because I have, you know, I know how to do it. So um, when I got into the casinos, luckily, you know, here in Vegas, like, when you're in the food industry, you make really good tips. So I thought when I started jujitsu, I was already working there. So I was like, just seriously, like once I realized around Purple Belt that like, oh, I want to pursue this, I was just saving my money. I was just obsessed, like I said, and, I, and this is something I really wanted. So I made it a goal of just save my money, pay my bills off, and just travel around the world. And pretty much, yeah, just fund myself. And... Uh, 
yeah, so I, I used to go to seminars wherever I could to like all the best guys. I'll do seminars. I'll go train wherever I could and do tournaments, you know, all, all over the world. And so while I was working a full-time job, luckily my boss was really cool. So he'll give me days off or weeks off. And since we're a union, we're able to have vacation once a year. So sometimes I'll take that one week vacation and I'll do a tournament out of the state, out of, out of the country. And yeah, dude, that's, that's how pretty much yeah, I was doing at the time. Yeah. That's awesome. So I want to know too, like, I think one thing that competitors struggle with a lot is like finding the right training environment for them. Cause I know there's a lot of different jujitsu gyms, but a lot of them are for people who, you know, don't have huge goals like you do. They're just kind of for people who train more as a hobby. So what advice would you give to someone who's trying to find the right training environment for them? One that they can train at long-term and really grow into, into their abilities. I mean, you, I, I guess just, um, I mean, something, I guess your coach and yourself have to be in the same page, you know, so you have to find, first of all, I mean, it'll be, it'll, it'll be easier. You can find a coach that kind of has your style or similar to the style that you want to learn, you know, and, and if it, you feel like it fits you, you know, uh, because it's just easier, right? It's, it's, it's almost like a shortcut. Or pretty much like going to college, if I want to learn something, you know, you, you're going to take classes for that. So it's kind of, I feel like it's kind of the same way. You just find a, a style of a, of a school that kind of fits you. And, uh, yeah, that helps a lot. Uh, but another thing, too, like, you know, a lot of the schools, sometimes they're not, co like, competitive. Uh, they're just, you know, more family gyms. Just people like to train. Uh, so at that point, you just gotta you just got to make the research of, how to train, you know, uh, and how to drill. Uh, you got to know the rules, you know. So whatever tournament you're doing, sub only, whatever it is, you, you got to know the rules, like what's the rule set. That way you don't get lost when you're doing a competition. Uh, so just things like that, you know. You just got to make the research yourself. So you talk to your coach and see what he could tell you and other stuff. Maybe reach out to somebody else and see if they can help you in that, in that way. Awesome. So I know you're opening your own gym shortly. Um, by the time this episode comes out, I'll probably be open already. So do you want to talk about like some of your goals for your gym? Like what type of environment do you want to create for your students? And what are some of your long-term goals with your academy? Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, my school's called Jiu-Jitsu Methods, first of all. Uh, I got that name from uh, uh, this uh, crew, this b-boy crew that I used to like look up to. They're called Skill Methods. So that's where I got the name. It's just pretty much uh, honoring them and stuff. Uh, but yeah, so my school, you know, uh, I'm just starting off. And what I want from uh, the type of energy I want there, I just want people to feel uh, at home. I want them to feel at home. I want them to, like, be happy to come train. I don't want them to feel like, oh, you know, like they have to train or, or they feel kind of tense because... You know, everybody's like not talking to each other. I don't, I don't want that type of energy, you know. So I, whether it's competitive or not, like, I just want you to feel good coming to train. So that's the big thing of, of, of what I want at my gym. And, and obviously future goals is like to get big enough where I could have uh, multiple mat areas uh, because I want to, I want to uh, run it. Uh, a little differently, I want to have like different levels of classes, like a beginner class, intermediate class, and advanced class. Uh, and obviously, the fundamentals class will be more 
just, you know, fundamentals, very basic, but learning how to drill and how to apply the moves. And then the intermediate class is like different types of guards. Well, more of my style, right? More of my style that I'm going to teach, like open guard. And in advance, it's like you're really not really, I'm not really going to teach like moves. I'm more going to help people develop the type of style they already kind of picked up for themselves. Because I feel like after a certain point, uh, if I'm open guard, if I'm a spider guard player and I'm already like a black belt, you're just trying to master that, you know? You're not trying to be a butterfly guy. It's, it's cool to learn. Yeah, I learned. I never say don't learn, but you're trying to master your own skill set, your own moves, and you're trying to like branch that one move that you like since a white belt or blue belt or whatever, and you're trying to branch that to so many different branches, you know, and that's that's what makes you a black belt. That's what makes you different from everybody else because all black belts are different. So that's something I want for my students, you know, something that hopefully I get to, um, to, to give them, you know, to have in my programs and stuff in a, my school. So, yeah, dude, that's like my long-term goal, to have multiple classes at the same time. And then everybody can roll together, whether you're a beginner, intermediate, or advanced. You do the one-hour uh, whatever uh, class, and then everybody gets to roll together. Because I always feel like everybody should know the – everybody should train together, you know, whether you're a, a white belt with a black belt or whatever, right? Because it's just cool to see if you're a lower belt going with a black belt too, you know. That's really cool in the beginning and stuff. So, and same thing and vice versa, right? It's cool to like show somebody and help them out. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I really like your idea about the advanced classes and kind of just refining people's games that they've built up over the years. Cause a lot of times I'm sure you're going to have students that already have a base in jujitsu and they're not just starting fresh from white belt with you. So they're going to come in with some prior knowledge and then you're just going to help kind of refine that and just get them to a point where they're mastering their own game. Yep. Yeah, man. That's it. That's awesome. So one thing that really changed in jiu-jitsu like during the pandemic was obviously a lot of the tournaments got canceled. So it was mostly like super fight events and there was a lot more nogi tournaments. So what was your opinion on kind of how the jiu-jitsu scene shifted uh, after the pandemic to a more super fight approach and less tournaments? I mean, I, I think it was pretty good because uh, it just kept us all entertained, you know, like something to do. Obviously, they couldn't do tournaments because, you know, what's going on in the world. So I think the super fights were great, dude. It kept us, uh, it kept us uh, excited, you know. It kept us like, man, I, I want to get back to competing. I want to train. So I thought it was a great thing to have those super fights. You know, they kept they kept us kind of alive, you know. So I thought it was, I thought it was a great idea, you know. Everybody was doing whatever, who's number one or or the other ones too. You know, they were, it was all great to see. And, and you know what? And it was cool too, too, because some guys. Got a lot of breakthroughs, you know, like they were just killing it in the scene and stuff. So it was cool to see them too, kind of like come up. Um, so yeah, dude, I thought it was great. I thought they did a great job. They kept us alive, kept us entertained, kept us excited. So, so yeah, that's what I think. Yeah, I thought they were really cool too. And I think they sparked a lot of conversation about tournaments and rule sets and the IBJJF. So, like, what are some of the things, because I know you competed mostly under the IBJJF rule set. So, like, what are some of the things you like about the IBJJF rule set? And is there anything that you would change if you had the ability to do that? I mean, um, what I like about the IBJJF is that, I mean, uh, it's just anybody could have that breakthrough that year. Somebody that you don't know, you know, that 
might have that breakthrough. And it's, it, you know, super fights are cool, but it's only for people that are known, they're doing already good. Uh, not all the time, but, you know, for most of the guys in super fights, they're big names. But these tournament settings, it's really cool because, like, it could be nobody that doesn't have a name that can make it that year. The only thing I don't like is uh, sometimes the referees are a little biased for sure. I know everybody says they don't. They're not, but I feel like they are sometimes. Uh, obviously, it's the job of the competitor to know the rules too because they change the rules every year, and you got you to gotta keep up to that. So, so you know, I, I think that's one of the biggest things. Um, I think they're doing pretty well with uh, with rule sets and stuff they have now. Obviously, you maybe do more uh, fighter pay, you know, or tournaments pay, you know, if you win a little bit more prize money. I mean, IBJF makes a lot of money, so I don't see why they don't do that more often. I know they were doing it before the pandemic, and um, but maybe hopefully this year they start picking that up again. Uh, maybe help out people that win these tournaments to like uh, get sponsorships. I mean, whatever you could do, you know, to like to help them out. Um, but yeah, I, I think those are a couple couple things. For... Yeah, they brought back the pro league this year, which is really cool. They had some, I think they had two divisions, a middleweight and a heavyweight, which were both awesome. And it seems like they're focusing a little bit more on marketing their competitors just via their Instagram and social media channels. So that's a really cool thing to see. But do you see yourself ever doing like an ADCC style tournament or any uh, Nogi who's number one type stuff? Is that one of your goals? I mean, yeah, I would love to, you know, but um, yeah, I, I just I just need to get my name out there. I need to do more tournaments, you know, and just try to be out there a little more often. Um, so, yeah, dude, uh, maybe uh, I know Vegas having the trials, uh, I think, in April for ADC. So maybe I'll try that. Uh yeah, it's just it all depends how my gym's doing, how everything around me is doing. So, uh, so yeah, dude, I, I yeah, it's just kind of hard. Like I said, just because I'm opening a school now, and I just gotta make sure I have my priorities straight, uh, and then I could have everything else. I could like try to schedule everything else in it. So, that's awesome. Well, that was pretty much all the questions I had. So, is there any other topics you wanted to cover before we uh, kind of wrapped it up? Uh, I mean. No, not really, dude. Thank you a lot for having me. It's a, uh, it's an honor, you know. Yeah, absolutely. If you guys are, uh, yeah. So thanks a lot. I appreciate it a lot. So for sure. Do you have any like sponsors or any friends you want to thank or shout out? Uh, I mean, shout out to all my guys at FTTC, uh, all my guys from Vils, from Angles, from pretty much all over Vegas. We're all a pretty tight group, and we all kind of help each other train and stuff. All the guys from Hybrid too, and. uh yeah, man, just thanks to them a lot. They always help me and support me and stuff. And, yeah, all the Vegas scene and all my friends all over stuff. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Renee, for joining me. I really appreciate it. Congrats on your success at Worlds. It's really cool to see someone who started Jiu-Jitsu at a little bit of a later age compared to a lot of world champions and reached such a high level of success. So I think that's really big inspiration for a lot of people, myself included, since I started a little bit later too. <laughs> Dude, you keep pushing, bro. I'm telling you, like – don't don't listen to nobody just get find your way to do it and uh yeah dude because i'm telling you when when i heard my name in the podium renee lopez and my future gym's name i was like it was like wow dude that was the coolest thing ever you know so don't listen to me and find your ways bro five yeah find your ways of making it so 
That's awesome. That's great advice. So thanks everyone for listening. This is episode 121, I believe, of the Open Guard Cast. And we will be back next week with another episode. So we'll see you guys soon. Thank you for listening to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, hop over to the Bloody Elbow Presents SoundCloud and iTunes pages, and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is also titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on Apple TV, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents, and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, The Mookie and Crookie Show, The Best of the Come On Now MMA Podcast, Crooklyn's Corner, The MMA Vivisection, The Level Change Podcast, Show Money, The Sixth Round Post Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, The MMA Depressed Us, and Radio Style Play-by-Play for every UFC pay-per-view. You can also follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bloody Elbow Blog and of course on BloodyElbow.com.